<laughs> I'm about to go Brian Adams on you in a minute because I'm getting a little raspy, okay? So, <clears throat> Whew. well, as the smog and fog clears, eventually you will see me, and my name is Pastor Derek Fry, and I'm the lead pastor at Connect Community Church. And I don't do that very often, so that was a treat for me as much as it was for you. And trust me, I was more nervous than you were. Amen. Turn your neighbors say, this has been awesome so far. But it has been incredibly different. Amen. Listen, uh, you can get your worship guides out and you can follow along with me as we continue in a series entitled Remix, where we're basically saying we're letting God rewrite our song. And what's interesting about the culture that we live in today is sometimes Christians are scared of culture instead of leveraging culture to communicate a Christ-centered message. And so really this series has been dedicated to the notion that we're following Jesus' style where he leveraged culture to communicate to us. In fact, he didn't only leverage culture, he led culture. Can I have an amen? amen. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to let... God takes certain songs and communicate maybe a message. It could be from a phrase. It could be from a chorus of a song. It could be just a word that just we see in a different light. And that's what we've done every single week in this series. And so I believe it's going to bless you. If you're a new person here today, we don't normally sing Journey at the end of a worship experience. <laughs> Although I do believe God is the God of the 80s. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I feel the anointing as soon as I said that. And so uh, I'm stuck in the 80s, just so you know. So uh, that's, anyway, that's how that goes. But if you're new to Connect, and uh, I just want to qualify this a little bit, that uh, um, this might be a, a different environment for you. What I'm going to do in just a few minutes is uh, I'm going to, like, encourage you, but I'm also going to exhort you. I'm going I'm to kind of pump you up, but I'm going to poke a little bit, okay? Turn your neighbor say he's going to poke a little bit, and it ain't the Pillsbury Dough poke. <laughs> boy, the po Pillsbury Dough boy poke, okay? It's going to be a little... A little prickly, okay? So let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray. By then, the fog will clear, and uh, we'll be ready to go. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to pray in and, and, and a free country and be able to seek God in a free country, be able to have fun in church. And the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But I'm asking you, God, Lord, for a special anointing now to fall upon every, every ear that's in this room. Everybody, Lord, not have their ears just tickled or scratched or... You know, their, their bellies just full with fun. But, God, that there would be a word that you drop into our hearts and that it, it challenges us, Lord. We're not here to come to church just to be entertained. We're here to grow. And I pray, Lord God, that let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I have a family of uh, six. We I have four children. And a lot of times when we would... Uh, get to certain places in our life where we thought things maybe are getting a little out of whack, a little out of control. Uh, we need to kind of reel it in a little bit, bring some order, some prioritization uh, to what's going on. We would call, my wife and I would call a family meeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like when, when I said there's a family meeting, the kids weren't thinking it's going to be like popcorn and popsicles. They knew there was going to be a tough talk that was coming, and there were some things that needed to be brought into line. And so if you're new, you're kind of on the fringe, or you're a frequent flyer, or you're family. I don't know where you are in the, 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 the circles of relationship, but if you're on the fringe, just check this out. This, this, this may not apply to you. If you're on the frequent flyer list, I'm, I'm really encouraging you to move. If you're the family, I'm kind of going to, I'm coming for you. 
this morning. This is kind of a, a strong message for, for all of us. This song over the last month uh, when uh, we made a determination we were going to do this, it made me think about kind of uh, Christians and culture or, or, or Christians you know, and how we've been influenced by culture. And then fortunately, there's been a fusion of our faith where we see kind of the, the erosion and deconstruction over time of our, 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 like our moral compass of, of our Judeo-Christian values and their practices in our, in our daily life. And yet, God has instructed us to remain constant amidst a shifting culture. Can I have an amen? amen. I'm going to need some feedback once in a while to tell me you're alive or breathing and not suffocating in this room. Hebrews 13.8, this is what it says. It's in your notes. If you're taking notes, you should take notes. But if you're taking notes, uh, you can look at the scripture with me. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus is the same. Everybody say the same. The same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Regardless of what time and season we are in history, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a God that we serve that has remained constant. Jesus has been the same yesterday, today, forever. And the question is, are we shifting with culture? Or are we remaining the same amidst a shifting culture? That's kind of what I want to talk about today because I want, to, I want to take a look at what a Christian looks like. What does it mean to believe? Don't stop believing. Well, what does it mean to believe? I believe as a believer we should remain constant when culture shifts. We must endeavor to remain that way, a commitment to the cross, uh, our lifestyle in Christ be visible and manifest, and, and we should be a people who know uh, in whom we believe, but also know what we believe. We watch our life and our doctrine closely according to the scriptures. And there were people throughout the Bible, great men and women of God, who did this uh, with excellence, and they did it with... Uh, they did it with style. You think about the life of Daniel, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Daniel was a very, very godly man who served under ungodly kings. In fact, he would face the eastern sky every day to pray, three times a day, the Bible tells us. And, and one occasion when he was um, in this pattern, in this routine, in this practiced belief system, uh, he was challenged that if you continue to do that and you do not bow down to the graven image, you will die. But he held fast his faith amidst a shifting culture. As a result, he was able ultimately, as you know the story, he was ultimately able to influence an entire nation. In fact, what's interesting about Daniel, which is absolutely uh, amazing, is he served under six ungodly kings while never compromising his faith. Joseph was a man who never compromised his faith either. And no matter how low you took him, he would always rise to the top. Even when he was in Potiphar's house, his character was being assassinated by an ungodly woman who was trying to get what she wanted for her own selfish interest, and she didn't get it, so she accused him, and he, 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 he just stayed true. He didn't, he didn't uh, run from the responsibility, and even though there was a temporary consequence, there was an ultimate redemption, and as a result, he became second in command of the largest or most powerful nation in the world. You see people throughout the Bible, Esther, for all the ladies out there, she was a queen, and she was in a queen to an ungodly king, and at the, at the verge of extinction of her own people, she had a choice to make. Will I compromise and concede and give up all that maybe I have and lose that, maybe even my own life? But she violated protocol because of her priority in serving the king of kings and lord of lords, and as a result, an entire nation was saved as opposed to being wiped off the face of the planet. There are people that amidst culture when it shifts stayed the same. Jesus, of course, was the perfect example of this no matter what was going on, whether he was cheered or whether he was jeered, whether he was seen as, you know, the Messiah or seen as some kind of a fraud. 
you know, uh, 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 you know just a charlatan. He remained constant and said he is who he is, and he didn't, he didn't shy away from his identity. He didn't shy away from his associations, even unto death. He died so that when we die, we could live with him forever. He never changed. He remained. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are we the same, or are we shifting with culture? Are we changing with culture? Now, I see something that was happened in the days of old that I still see happening today. If you look in your notes in Judges chapter 25, excuse me, 21, Verse 27, the last chapter, the last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I'm going to follow up with another verse, the next chapter, first verse, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days of when the judges ruled, so that's this time, there was a famine in the land. And I want you to see these two verses put together that when there was no king, Judges ruled, uh, authorities of man ruled, and as a result of not following a king, having judges rule, there ultimately was a physical famine in the land. And I'm here to tell you that I see a situation or an association with this to our day today where there is no king. We have a spiritual famine in our land today. There's a problem in our culture today. And yet I can remember a time when culture actually reinforced my beliefs. In my lifetime, some of you have been old enough to remember that you can have people that weren't even Christian, didn't even subscribe to the same belief systems or spiritual ideals that you do, but they would not counter or contrast with you. They would even sometimes support the things that you did. As an example, when I was growing up uh, in my neighborhood, uh, the scripture says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Anybody ever heard that verse before? Yeah, we don't like saying that in church anymore, but back then, back then everybody believed in not sparing the rod. In fact, it was so, so much the case, you know, we were always, uh, you know, playing in our neighborhood. But I can remember being by one of my neighbors, Mr. Stanger. Mr. Stanger, if he saw us doing something we shouldn't be doing, he'd come outside, pull out his belt, and he would, he would be whipping some kids in the neighborhood. Some of you remember people like this. We'd be, I can remember being 10 years old, and we'd be playing this game with quarters called Pitch. And basically, it's just low-grade gambling, and it was awesome. I mean, it was sinful. <laughs> sinful, sinful, sinful. And he'd come out, you guys playing that pitch again? And you could hear him, it was like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what I mean? Indiana Jones pulling his whip out. And we would all scatter like mice into cracks. But if he got a hold of one of us, no matter what kid and who, whose kid it was, you'd get whipped. And, you're, and the parents would hear about it and say, whip my other kid. Why didn't you get him? But today, you, you don't have neighbors do that. You don't have close friends. We don't even trust our family to do that. Culture has changed and shifted. I can remember now we're afraid to go outside. I can remember we always went outside. Our parents on a Saturday would say, get out in the morning and come back when the streetlights come on. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, that's how culture was. I remember when culture reinforced what we said we believed. I remember when businesses were closed on Sundays because everybody, no, no, no need having them open because everybody was worshiping somewhere. Some of you might remember that. I remember when schools began with the Pledge of Allegiance and with prayer. I remember that. I remember when people, uh, people couldn't be elected if there wasn't, they weren't people of faith. Because there was a direct association between your faith and your character. Things have changed, haven't they? 
There's been a shift in our culture. There was a day when culture reinforced our beliefs, but that's not the case. So how do we get where we are? Well, I think it's happened incrementally. I think there's been these stages, decade over decade, but it's changing again. I remember in 1962, some of you know this just from history, but 1962, these are just some highlights, but prayer was removed from school. It was every day you prayed in school. You know, Madeline Murray O'Hare, different people, you know, uh, changed that whole thing. Skip ahead 10, 11 years later, 1973, Roe versus Wade. Big, big national debate over personal rights and, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, a woman's rights versus the unborn child's rights. And I'm not here to, to bring that to the table because, you know, there's enough controversy in this message in and of itself. But all I'm saying is since then, 53 million unborn aborted babies. Some of you are scaredy cats. You don't even want to breathe. But anyway... Here's the point of this. I'm just trying to say, I'm not trying to say we need to be prayer back in schools. I'm not trying to make a debate about abortion. This is my point and what I'm trying to say to you this morning, which is so important. Where there is no king, where there is no sovereign authority in our lives, then people will continue to do what is right in their own eyes. Don't focus on the, the experience, the event, the individual thing. I want you to focus on the fact today that when there is no king, no sovereign authority in our life, there will be culture will shift and chaos can come. People don't do what's wrong because uh, what they're doing, they think what they're doing is wrong. People are doing what is wrong because they think what they're doing is right in their own eyes. So here's your big idea. The problem in our culture is there's no king. We need authority. We need authority. Listen, to have authority, you must be under authority. Some of you need dominion over your circumstances, over your situations, over your marriage, your family, your, your, your job, uh, the world in which you live. To have it, you must be under it. But we have these symptoms of a shifting culture, and it is happening over time. And it's like we're being slowly cooked there are, one of the things that happens, one of the symptoms is we are departmentalized in our values and our beliefs. We've departmentalized our values and our beliefs. And let me say it like this. There, I believe that our faith is personal. Most everybody's good with that. But what we, what we struggle is, I don't believe it was meant to be private. When I read the Bible, when I see the life of of Daniel, Esther, Joseph, Nehemiah, Jesus, and what I, I, I don't see private faith. I see public faith. Amen. It's changed, though. We see a separation now between the root of what we say we believe and the fruit and expression of what we believe in the world. We have no problem with that incongruency that I believe this privately, but it doesn't manifest publicly. Our culture doesn't have a problem with that anymore. It's shifted. It's changed. I love Jesus. He's my savior. Or really, he's my homie. But he's not my Lord. He's not my king anymore. That's what's happening in culture today. And currently, culture is trying to remove the authority in our life, the authority of Scripture, systematically and progressively. There used to be a day when I went to school or when you came uh, to somebody's house or when you went uh, to, to, to church itself, if somebody said the Bible says, you would always, it got everybody's attention. Today... The Bible is just, it's a, it's a book of fairy tales. It's, we, have, we have a generation that does not accept it as, as, as authoritative in our lives, even amongst Christians and even amongst preachers in our world today. And so we've, we've replaced uh, creation with evolution. We put God out of our schools and we've said that the word of God that has been given to us is not for today. Culture shifts. 
We are also dehumanized in our view of life. We see people really differently. We see people more as a means to an end, a product, a project, a nuisance, you know, um, a property. This is the most egregious example of this in our culture today uh, with, with the slave trade higher than any time in human history is sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is at an all-time high. 27 million women have been enrolled in sex trafficking, uh, captured, I should say, better. 13 million children, some of them as young as 7 and 8 years old. Their lifespan is approximately, on average, 7 years, and they die because of abuse, because of drugs, starvation, AIDS. And they're not only um, engaged in sex, sex, sexual activity, they're engaged in, in, in forced labor, they're engaged in, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, organ donation. I mean, just property, dehumanization. Of, of life, it's changed, and it's, it's terrible. And listen, I just want to say this. People, even as Christians, we mix it up. People are not God's property. They are his prized possession. His prized possession. And the problem is, in this culture, is culture's trying to replace, listen, they're trying to replace God. How? With, with hedonism, with self-hedonism, is just, if it feels good, do it. Selfism, moral relativism, every kind of ism on the planet that I could come up with, but it all directly opposes God. It's trying to replace God. God who is selfless. God who is love, 1 John 4, a God who said when he created man, he is good. God who created man in God's image. And if we continue to try to replace God, if we remove God from the equation of life, life will continue to erode and chaos will come. So when are you going to get to the good news? Eventually. Hang on. <laughs> I'm tightening up the ring here. We are desensitized. The last one is we are desensitized in our vision. We, what the world, the way we see the world, our worldview, we are insensitive to what should be sensitive and we are overstimulated to what should be avoided. The truth is nobody blushes anymore. Nobody's like, oh my gosh, I can't, oh, oh. Not a blush in the world today. We're, we're, I, I believe our beliefs are being slowly boiled you know, I believe our, our, our Christian conduct, you know, we're, we're like frozen in our faith. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that, uh, that in the last days, which I believe we're in, because of the increase of wickedness, the hearts of men will grow cold. Is your heart cold? Are you shifting with culture? Are you the same as Jesus is the same? Statistically, uh, the world tells us otherwise. In 2008, there was a massive survey that was done talking about this problem, desensitization. It says, by the age of 18, U.S. youth will have seen 16,000 simulated murders, 200,000 acts of violence. Sometimes we need a little shock and awe at church, by the way. And again, I'm telling you, this is a family meeting, and, and I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil, just so you know. I'm just kind of like, once in a while, I, I need to get fired up, and you need to get fired up. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. I hope you take it the, wrong, the right way and not the wrong way. More than 58% of children surveyed from 14 to 17 report having seen pornographic sites on the internet or on their phone in particular now. 50% of teens frequently communicate online with someone they've never met in person, which would be literally something would be petrified about. 37% have a link that they receive weekly to sexually explicit content. That's just, that's just happening right now. So I took you through history, kind of 10-year increments, let's speed ahead, fast forward, 9-11. 9-11, the world changed. 3,000 people were, were killed, 4,000 people were injured. The world changed just like that. 
We, we travel for the, forever was changed. Trust lost. It was a massive on our ground change. We've been a part of the two largest wars in human history. Hundreds of thousands of people have died in Iraq and in Afghanistan and, of course, our own, our very own. These changes are accelerating. Time is being compressed right now. Shifts are not decade by decade. They're literally week by week now. They're week by week. In fact, in 2013, if I just took one week out of 2013, which is three years ago, but just check this out. On a Tuesday, there was cause for the removal of the Confederate flag. I'm not making um, political opinions here. I'm just making statements. Wednesday of that same week, a Boston bomber here was sentenced to death on May 15th. Thursday, affordable health care is upheld. And on a Friday, gay marriage was legalized in America. That was in one week. We're not talking about decades of change. We're talking about time-compressed, culture-shifting in just week. And here's my concern, and this is the mindset that I want you to have, is are we being passive in our Christianity? Are we being passive in our leadership? One prophet said it like this. He calls the church that he sees in America today church light, like bud light. In other words, it tastes great, what we're getting, but it's less filling. In other words, it'll put a little weight in your belly, but uh, there's no muscle on your body. And that's what we see sometimes in our world today. Come on, somebody. You're going to amen me once in a while. I can use a little bit of help. I'm standing here by myself. Thank you. <laughs> see, church light, what happens when we're church light is that eventually people uh, will stop believing. So don't stop believing. But if we stay church light, if we're not uh, careful to watch uh, you know, uh, what we believe. If we're not careful to study to show ourselves approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, then we'll ultimately find ourselves doing shameful things in the process. And the problem is we have a church in general that is emaciated, that is undernourished, that is kind of uh, under-spiritual, as it were, and we're raised in a generation that is hostile to our faith at the same time. So we have passivity, and at the same time, we have aggressive assault against that which we say we believe. It's a shifting culture, and we're not equipped to spiritually push back on that which we see and that which we experience. And this is why we need to be a part of a church like this. This is why this needs to be a priority in your life. You need to be equipped to be able to go out into the world and be a light in the darkness. Can I have an amen? amen. Listen, I am, I am unapologetically trying to indoctrinate you. That word gets a bad press. It gets a bad name. Indoctrinate is not necessarily bad. We need to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to know how to have a timely word and an apt reply. Yes, it can't be reckless. The Bible says reckless words pierce like a sword. The tongue of the wise brings healing. I'm not just saying go out there with your big fat Bible, stand on top of a restaurant table and start preaching at people, say you're all going to hell. That's retarded. That's, that's foolish. Part of my, my choice of words there. That's just foolish. I'm sorry, I'm getting fired up and some stuff will come out of my mouth and I need to pull it back in. All right? But this word has a bad connotation. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 4, in the last days, they, it's talking about weak Christians, will not adhere or endure sound doctrine. We won't even follow it. We won't even know it, is what it's saying here. So before we can blame the world and the things that we see in the world, we need to accept our responsibility. That's why I'm having a family meeting this morning, if everybody's with me. We can't address the world situation. We must address, I have to address in myself. I got kicked in the pants by the Holy Spirit as your pastor for passivity, for kind of an uh, inactive, an unprepared, sometimes unaware 
as, as a pastor. And if I'm unaware as a pastor, you can be unaware as a church. That's not your excuse. That's just, uh, just saying for identification, I'm a part of this spanking just like you are. But we've helped people indirectly to produce the climate where people feel comfortable coming out of the closet because the church of Jesus Christ is living in the closet. We're staying behind closed doors. We're not coming out and shouting from the rooftops the love of Jesus and doing good unto all the world. We're not giving away what God has given us. We don't see Christianity like breathing, something we take in and something we must exhale in order to stay sound and to stay on track as Christ followers. We've received a relationship with God, yes, by grace through faith, but we've also suggested as a result of what we see in culture today that it's a relationship that God has no requirements of us. Like, like, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, but we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Where are the greater works? Where are just the works is what I think Jesus would say to us in a shifting culture. And so in other words, God without requirements will produce a Christianity without sacrifice and dedication and commitment. And that message if it continues, a message without sacrifice then produces a message of forgiveness. Yeah, and we're good on that, but it doesn't have a message of repentance. Where once in a while, we need to determine to change our direction and stop acting and behaving the way we are. Hmm. Well, there might be four or five people here next week, but I'll be here. So, so what does a Christian look like today? I think about my kids. What are they hearing? What are they seeing? You go on the media today, and there'll be a Hollywood, you know, person, some famous person, and, and they can be a singer, for example, can be, you know, pontificating and, and communicating all their illicit material. No shame in that, completely desensitized to that, you know, all kinds of horrible things. And then they'll get up on stage, receive a reward, and thank God for it. And we'll say, oh, he must be a Christian. I can promise you Jesus didn't vote for him. And so it seems, it seems to me that amongst the monotheistic belief systems, that's belief systems that see there's only one God, take Islam, take Judaism, take Christianity. Isn't it interesting that in all other parts of the world, if a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, no matter where they are, they stand out. A Muslim is a Muslim is a Muslim, no matter where they are, they stand out. But a Christian is not a Christian, no matter where they are, because they're not standing out all the time. And that's a shame. And it shouldn't be that way. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, but that's why our president can get up in front of the nation and say uh, when, when gay, gay marriage was the greatest victory for our country, and two hours later he could be singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I'm just telling you, it's, it's a different day. And many get unhappy again about what they see. And, 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 and yet at the same time, I look in myself and I look in you and I look at people that aren't even here and I say, I see drive-by Christians People who profess to be Christians, but they're not even a part of a local church. That's just unbiblical. Right. It's just crazy. And then they'll complain about what they see in culture, and I complain about what I see in culture. There are people who do attend a church as Christians, but they don't support it. Right. Come, on. Come on. I'm just trying. Can we be real this morning? Yeah. A little bit? And so, because, it, you know why? Because of this pervasive shift in culture. Well, Sunday is my day. Sunday is, this is the day that I do what I want to do. It's because you have no king. Amen. Yeah. Right. You have no king. You have not surrendered completely. You see him as savior. You got your get out of jail free card. But you don't see him as the king of your soul, king of your life, the king of your lifestyle. And your commitments don't reflect that. And I think once in a while we need to be told that. Many get unhappy. 
And so we cannot bemoan and complain at the statistics that we see and the things that we see in our world. Yet, contrast that, and this is just the point. The other side of it is there's a spirit that is supporting the shifts in our culture. And you see all these other organizations that are well-funded, well-attended, well-organized. And they directly oppose what is happening in Christianity today. In a church where Christians don't know how to stand up for anything, they'll fall for everything in the process. And so if we don't define what it means to be a Christian, then, then the enemy will come in, the spirit will come in and manipulate and hijack words to say something that they don't mean. And then people don't espouse them and promote them. For example, let me give you some new definitions of words that sometimes get misquoted because what I see in the world today is when you see Christians through the media, they're usually like silly, goofy, toothless fools. Or they're successful, clever, smart, but they're made out to be crooks. There's a perva- and people can do that in our culture today and say these things and do these things with impunity. And nobody can say anything about it. Not a word can be said. And if we don't do something about it, then we're going to see that, that uh, the, the church will continue to shrink and die. Yet I believe with all my heart, that's why I'm here. I've been doing this, I've been doing this a long time, that the church is the hope of the world. I believe the church is supposed to be a light amidst the darkness. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be on top of that, that high point and be a place where people say, that's a place where I can go and receive truth. That's a place where I can go and receive transformation, transformation and healing in my life. We have to be, the church has to come alive. But we have to define some terms, okay? So here's the first one. Don't stop believing in love. Love. Are you getting something out of this? Are you guys okay? I'm going to go over. I can tell that. Don't stop believing in love. The Bible says, you know, and we see that God is love. And we, and we, we hear this, this is what we hear. And I, I'm going to dr- deal with another side of, of what usually is not talked about because of a spirit. But the Bible says, you know, and that God is love. God loves everybody, right? We hear that. Yeah, who, who said he doesn't? No. God loves everybody. Listen, do you, do, how many have children? You have children? How many let your children do whatever they want? Do you still love them? Yes. So I want you to write this down. Here's something that, here's kind of a special note for you. Love is not the same as permissiveness, approval, or acceptance. You don't, you, you can't say you love your kids and let them play in the street. So just because once in a while we hear something that is, that is uh, a lot, uh, there's, there's a, there's, we're not approving of what everybody's doing, we're not accepting what everybody's doing, we're not permitting what everybody's doing, doesn't mean God doesn't love them or we don't love them. Now, I agree the church has been foolish for a long time and not been the hands and feet of Jesus. I agree that we haven't loved the community the way Christ loved the church. I, I agree with that, okay? I'm just saying once in a while, though, let's not just take it too far where we don't understand the true definition of love. And be silenced when we need to be shouting or speak up. I believe boldness is what you speak up when the opportunity pops up. But when I see opportunities pop up, the church is silent. It's quiet. This gets messed up on very important questions and very important levels when people say things like, well, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Listen, people don't go to hell because God doesn't love them. People go to hell because they don't love God. That's the difference. That's the problem. So God loves everybody, but that doesn't mean he agrees, approves, or permits everything that's happening. And so then culture comes in, supported by the Spirit, and says, well, that's be- you're judging, you're judging, you're judging. And then this whole terminology and this whole word comes into the church. And Matthew 7 says, judge not that you be not judged. It's amazing how many people know that scripture. They don't know where it comes from, but they know that's judge not, judge not. You're judging. I don't want to judge. Who am I to judge? Everybody's saying that all the time. 
It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Take the word way too far. You understand what I'm saying? And so here's what happens when we don't understand the terms. We don't understand the definition is this text used inappropriately by Christians is an alleviation of responsibility to make a decision or take a stand. That's what it is. Oh, I'm not, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. Listen, I, judging this particular verse is referring to the intrinsic value of a person. Don't judge the value. Esteem people. Love people. That Nobody's unlovable. Nobody's untouchable. Nobody is, is seen as less. You're not better than anybody else. That's what this is saying. Judge. Don't judge that. But you have to judge that which is good from that which is evil. You have called as Christ followers to discern right from wrong. And sometimes you have to judge the actions or the fruit of something. Is anybody getting what I'm saying here? So we're silent sometimes because we misdefined or misinterpreted the terms. We're called to make judgments. You don't let your kids play with everybody. Are you judging? Yes. Yes. You don't go to every restaurant. Are you judging? Yes. The Bible even tells us when, it, when a prophecy is brought. And this is a long story, but you're supposed to judge it. There's a whole book called Judges. Just checking to see if you're still there. You got a pulse. Jesus spoke to one of his own, said, You're a viper. He said to one of his own, He said, You're, you're of your father, the devil. Simon the sorcerer tried to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter, and Peter turned to him and said, You're a son of Satan. There's iniquity in you. Is that judging? Yes. What is it judging? The behavior, not the intrinsic value or, or, or the, the worth of a person separate those things as Christ followers. We didn't have any problem. We do this selectively. When the Boston bomber did what he did, we had no problem bringing him to court to be judged. We had no problem with that, right? Because we saw that clearly. But as a leader, sometimes we have to do that. We have become afraid to speak up our, uh, for our faith because of the false interpretation of this word. Here's the next word, grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Come on, say it like you mean to say grace. Grace. We are saved by grace through faith. We cannot save ourselves. It's not done by works. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Amen, amen, and amen to that. But the grace that we sometimes see in the church that's being perpetrated is passive when I see it as aggressive. Wrote, write this down in your notes. Grace is not passive. It is aggressive. I don't know about you, but the grace that saved me, it, got, it went down into the dirt to get me. The grace that saved me pulled me out of my hiding place in, my, in the shadows and the shame of my sin. The grace that found me, the grace that, that got me fought off devils, whether, whether I realized it or not. There was things that God saw for me that were ahead of me, and that's why he sent his son for me. He snatched me out of darkness. Grace is relentless towards me. Aggressive, violent commitment to love me, to do what? To bring you out of slavery, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Grace is not God looking the other way. Grace is God looking right into the face of sin saying, I'm coming for you. Grace doesn't just throw his hands up. God doesn't just go, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Grace is rolling up his sleeves and say, I'm willing to get into the mess because I'm pure, white, and righteous. I can, make that, I can make that which is unclean, clean. So that's why I'm willing to roll up my sleeves for you and get into that mess. Grace is when David snatched the lamb out of the lion's mouth. Grace is when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Grace is when God went down into hell, into the bowels of hell, and stole the keys. So when you die, you can live with him forever and live an overcoming life in this life right now. Grace. 
is aggressive. It's aggressive. How many are thankful for the grace of God? How many are thankful for the grace of God? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amen? Amazing grace. So there's a problem in our world today, and it's a spiritual problem. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual problem. You don't have to agree with that, but I'm just telling you, as real as that which is in the natural to you, there is a spiritual realm that is just as real. And the spirit that we are fighting today is a spirit of tolerance. Tolerance. The spirit of tolerance. It's, it's, it's behind that is, is a spirit that's an old spirit that's been around for all eternity. And spirit is genderless, even though it has a female name. It is the spirit of Jezebel. It is a controlling, manipulating, perverted spirit that is trying to undergird and, 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 and just eradicate the voice of God in our life. And this time it was spoken through the voice of Elijah. It's trying to silence the voice of God through the voice of Elijah. The same spirit has matured in this day. The same spirit is here. The spirit of tolerance that, that, that basically says, why doesn't the traffic flow both ways? In other words... We're judging, but they're not judging. Culture's not judging Christians, but Christians are judging culture. I see the traffic only flows one way in our culture. Why is that? It's not fair. It's inequitable. It's because of a spirit. A spirit. It's a spirit of tolerance. Let me, let me say it like this. In, in the gay community, let's, let's be completely controversial this morning, okay? So in the gay community, don't get nervous on me. I love, I love everybody, okay? So that's, but just, it's amazing to me how we can, we can see people who come to a place and stage in their life where they can say, you know what? In authenticity, I want to be real. I've come to the place where I, where I believe I was born gay. I want to come out. I've been, I've, I believed a lie. I, and I, you know what I say to that? Oh, go ahead. Okay. Do what you got to do. And, and yet we, Christ followers, are, are told to support, to submit that, and you can't say anything about that. Here, here's, here's my point. The contrast, if somebody comes to my church, our church, your church, I hope, and comes in here and they receive a message that for them is transformational, and it suggests that their identity is not in, in, in what they do but in who they know, and they come to a personal connection to Christ their Savior, and he says, uh, I, I, I called you to be free. This is not who you are. This is who you are, and that person decides to declare, I believed a lie. I don't want to be gay anymore, and I'm, I, as a Christian, I've submitted my life to him. That is not okay, and we are called to be silent, and, and that is even seen and said as brainwashing in our culture today that is because of a spirit that doesn't see the traffic flow both ways yes we can't judge people for the decisions they make but we but we are judged for the decisions or that other people make and the support that we give to them tolerance for everybody but christians bruce jenner was on the cover of vanity fair he's going there bruce jenner was on the cover of vanity fair and one day, he had one million Twitter followers. Good for him. Way to go, Bruce. Way to go. Caitlin, whatever. All right? That's fine. I'm just using this as an example, so don't get nervous. I mean, because, listen, he's the one who put himself out there. I'm not invading his privacy. That's happened already. You can take that however you want. But, 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 the, but culture says he's, he's a hero now. Caitlin's a hero now. And so did much of the church. And so yet, this is my point about the two-way traffic flow is Tim Tebow can get down on his knees and pray to God his Savior, and he is vilified for throwing Christianity in their faces. My point is this. 
Why is it okay? I would rather have Tim Tebow throw his Christianity in my face than Caitlin throw her new boobies in my face. That's all I'm saying. I should give myself an offering for that. If I had money, I would. She, she, see, Jezebel, the spirit of Tal, represents a spirit of control, manipulation, and perversion. And the goal of it is to silence the voice of God, the voice of Elijah on the earth today. So we can be controlled or we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit alone. And I believe you see this pervasive in our media today. And that's why if, it's, if we're under the spirit of control, you will have famine. But if you are submitted to a king... You, you, all your needs will be met miraculously by God. Elijah is the answer. The spirit of Elijah, the voice of God is, is, is an Old Testament, but a New Testament parallel. The voice of God in your life is the answer to the problems of our culture. Is everybody tracking with me today? There's a famine because there's no king, but if there's a king, the voice of God will return in our life. And we can decide to be fed and led by judges, or we can be fed by God. Elijah was fed by ravens and widows, just these small meals, but he was sustained by them and was able to change an entire nation because he listened to the voice of God and God alone. But how do we fight against the spirit? Write these things down quickly as I share them with you, and I gotta let you go. You gotta support your local church. How do you juke the Jezebel spirit in your life? How do you get this spirit of tolerance out? you got to see it right. you got to define and get the definitions right. But you got to act on it too. There needs to be a commitment and a consecration. Support your church. We should be, listen, connect. If this is your home, we should be visible and influential in our community. This cannot happen if we are underfunded. Now, I'm not taking an offering today, so don't get nervous. We don't take offerings in this church. But I will say this. Listen to me. When's the last time you did bring an offering, though? I think it should be more uh, common for us to be able to bring a sacrifice unto God. Change your mentality about church. Church is the answer to the world's problems and systems as we follow the voice of God. God is not after your money. I'm not after your money. He's after your heart. And I am too, to be honest with you. And everything that happens here, everything that's spent, everything that is, that is given is sacred. And, and, and we've handled money well here for uh, almost four decades Okay, so, but don't let the spirit of Jezebel influence your view of support of the local church. Don't let it be an excuse. Get involved. Make a commitment. Be a giver. Gangs are, are, are not underfunded. Cartels are not underfunded, but the Christian church sometimes is underfunded. We, we're, all our bills are paid. I'm just trying to say we can make a bigger splash in the community if you will be a part of what God is trying to do on the earth through the local church. Are you? Why not? Here's the next thing I want to say. <laughs> Number two, promote the good. Promote the good. Jesus went about doing good. Whatever, whatsoever is good. Whose report will you believe? Well, it ought to be good. Stop posting and, and promoting things that are not good. It, you know, if you promote the good, you'll starve things that are bad. You, you kill the weed by overseeding. You will, you will starve things that are bad in your life. Once in a while, don't do a selfie in the mall. Don't do a selfie in your house. Don't do a selfie in your car. Let's do a selfie in church once in a while. Pull that phone back and say, I was in church today. You missed it. <laughs> Hashtag, I love my church. But unfortunately, most of the stuff that's out there is in a different environment, in a different world, and anything that is posted related to Christianity makes Christianity look like fools. Promote something that is good. Can I have an amen out there? Post positive. How many of you like to see something that's positive? Touchdown. Everybody likes Then be a part of that. 
promote that which is good and give it away. Here's the third one. Avoid foolish, fruitless fights. Avoid, the Bible says, avoid foolish questions that do gender strife. Some of you are spending too much time fighting and arguing over foolish things because you haven't figured out what your purpose is. Be a part of the local church and you'll find out what your purpose is and your purpose will protect you from foolish, fruitless arguments and you'll do something that makes a difference and that matters. Get a part of something bigger than you. I would suggest to you, you're not going to change anybody's mind or see anybody transformed by arguing with them on Facebook. Say, he's got a bee in his bonnet this morning. Yes, I do. <laughs> overcome evil with good. Here's your next one. Romans 12, 21 says, overcome evil with good. That's how you do it. There's going to be a lot of opportunities this fall at Connect to do something good for God. We're going to serve our community very soon. You're going to see multiple ways to do that. You're going to have opportunities to give your time, your talent, and your treasure. We're going to do things that affect our nation, the things that affect things internationally. There's a lot of stuff coming up in the fall. I'm just challenging you to overcome evil with good. When you make God's agenda your agenda, he'll make his agenda your agenda his agenda. He'll put You put him. Seek first the kingdom. Do kingdom work. Two more. Pray for your nation. Listen. I could do a whole message on this. I don't have time for this. But the best thing you can do is not complain and argue about what is happening in our, in our, in our, in our government and in our, in our country today amongst the leadership. Listen, the Bible says in Philippians 2, that's why we have to know the word. It says do everything without complaining or arguing. Say, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Everybody's just posting stuff. Oh, man, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Pray. You are, you are telling the world that your prayers don't matter when you complain. That's what you're telling the world. Do everything. Shine like stars in the universe. Because, see, I don't put my trust. Uh, the person that I'm supporting is Jesus Christ. That's who I support. That's who I vote for. Okay? So I don't put all my trust in that. I'm not as worried about it as some of you are because I think this is supposed to be the hope of the world, what we do here. Lastly, stand to your feet as I close with this last point. Don't stop believing for revival. Revival. <laughs> the answer to all you see in the world today is revival in you and revival in us. Yes. I want you to close your eyes. Put your notes down, your pads, your papers, your pens, all that stuff, your phones. Be very, very still. Be very still. Maybe you go half mass. Maybe you go full. Can you, some of you, I just want you to sign up, surrender. Would you just, if you're willing, would you just, would you just submit to God and just raise your hands and just tell Him right now, just, just by an act, a physical act, it's, it's, it, it initiates a spiritual response. That God, I am surrendered to you today. <laughs> the King is among us. Is he? I hope so. Is he king? Is he Lord of your life today? I'm telling you, without a king, there will be famine in the land. But with a king, we will not go hungry. And nor will anybody else. One day, the king will return. But I want to be submitted to him, following him in his footsteps now, in the here and now. Where there is no king, the people will continue to do what's right in their own eyes. God, I want to say to you on behalf of this church, we will not continue to do what is right in our own eyes. I pray that you break every person that is not submitted to you, God, that is not surrendered to you, God. Break them, Lord. We don't have time right now this morning because we have other people coming in, but I pray as they go home that there would be an anointing to surrender their life to God completely. They would juke the Jezebel spirit and they would surrender completely to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, 
not only as your king, but as your savior. You're not in relationship with him. You're not sure you know him. You came in here and you're like, what is going on? But something's going on inside of me and I, I can't explain it, but I want more of it. If that is you, I'm just telling you, God is knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to come into your life and, and, and take residence there. He wants to come onto the throne of your life and he's just asking will you get off the seat and let me on the throne of your life. And when you do, your whole life will be changed and transformed. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Come on, all over the room. Good and high. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. There's, there's many, many, many. Come on, good and high. Hold them up there for a second. God bless you. He sees your hands. I see your hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. You can put your hand down now. Church, would you pray this prayer? And those that raise your hand, would you pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, today is the day of salvation. I make you my Savior. I submit that you paid my debt. Now, I could not pay. My sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And I thank you for the grace of God. In addition, I submit to you as my king. As I leave her today, my life will follow you. You lead me and you guide me in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Come on, let's give the Lord the best praise we can. Come on, give him the best in Jesus' name.